We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Fielding the 68, your favorite bracketology show on the internet. My name is Greg Waddell. I am joined today by two of the best in the business, Andy Bottoms and Lucas Harkins. We're going to break down everything that happened over the weekend on the greatest Saturday slate of the season up to date. A lot has changed. A lot of big results that have shifted the scope of the bracket a month before we get to everybody's favorite month in the college basketball season. Uh, guys, let's jump right into this. We got a lot to get to today. Andy, I'll throw it to you first. What are a couple games that jumped out to you that were the games of the week last week? Uh, well, I was at IU for the IU-Penn State game, and I can say with great uh, certainty that that was not among them. Uh, but what, <laughs> you know, for me, the theme on the positive side of this was really teams being able to get huge road wins. You had Butler winning at Creighton on uh, on Friday night. You had Texas winning at TCU, Cincinnati winning at Texas Tech, uh, Virginia winning at Clemson, even, even St. Mary's. Not really a bubble team per se, but picking up a big road win at Gonzaga. So if you look at the winners of the weekend – um, yeah, those were definitely the ones that really stood out to me. We talk all the time on here about the importance of road wins uh, and how that really matters to the committee. And so I thought there was a number of teams right, you know, in that eight, nine, ten range uh, as of Friday's show, uh, or even some that were you know, maybe just on the inside of the cut line uh, that picked up pretty big wins to move the needle for their uh, for their profile. Lucas, we'll throw it to you next. What jumped out of you from last week? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it was really the teams that made big moves. Obviously, Andy mentioned the the Butler-Creighton move. TCU dropped a home game in there. Uh, Cincinnati got a big road win. Like, there, There's a lot of things that kind of from start to finish with the weekend, um, starting with Butler on Friday night all the way through uh, Villanova kind of dismantling Providence on Sunday night, kind of from start to finish. It, it was a lot of those kind of big wins. And at the same time, with those teams getting wins, even the teams that – just kind of drop tough games were due to drop, um, even though they lost some tight ones. What was the biggest surprise to you, Lucas? You dropped your Butler Bulldogs a couple times. We're going to talk about them later in the show, of course. I know that one got you excited. But uh, was there anything else that jumped out to you that was shocking from a results perspective last week? You know, I don't think so. Um, I think Butler and Cincinnati were probably the two big ones. I think Cincinnati going on the road um, at Texas Tech was a really, really big result. Um, for them, perhaps a bigger result even for me than, than Butler going at Creighton because Butler's had a good non-conference strength schedule. Cincinnati wasn't quite there. 
I think Nate needed a really big road win to bolster their resume. Um, and they got it. And I, and I think that that gives them a little bit more of a leeway um, in what is a really, really tough big 12 where, where they've given themselves, you know, they're, they're in the right side of the field right now for me. Um, and they weren't there coming into the weekend. That's a good shout. I have another Big 12 team I want to ask you guys about, which uh, we are going to hit on some of these teams later in the show as well. So apologies if we duplicate here. But uh, one that jumped out to me as a, a surprise was Texas's road win against TCU, certainly with our friends at BetMGM. They were the underdogs in that game. Texas, one of these teams I just can't get a pulse on. Anytime I think I know what they're going to do, they seem to do the opposite. Andy, what, uh, what, what, what was that result for you? Did that move Texas back into the serious conversation for a bit? Uh, yeah, they moved pretty far up the seed line. I had them as a seven uh, this time, and they were probably a 10 on Friday, if I'm remembering correctly. And really, when you look at their resume, they now have four quad one wins. All of them fall in quad one A. And so even though they're one and two in quad two and they have a Q3 loss and they've got eight wins in quad four, they've got a demonstrated ability at this point to, to beat good teams and win them on the road. So of their uh, you know, four best wins. Three of them are on the road at Cincinnati, at uh, Oklahoma, and at TCU now. So, you know, road wins mean a lot. They've been able to uh, to to work through that and get those. Now, you also look at their profile. They dropped the game at West Virginia, uh, and that's what made Cincinnati's win that Lucas talked about so important as it came on the heels of losing there. And they lost at home to, to Central Florida. So there's some not great things on the Texas profile as well, but those really high quad one wins – uh, often carry the day when it comes to the committee. So has put them in a much better place. And, and certainly playing in the Big 12, they have lots more uh, opportunities left to get big wins uh, as we go down the stretch. But uh, but that really puts them in a pretty good position, especially as you compare them to other teams around the, the kind of middle uh, of the bracket where there's there's plenty of things to, to not like about plenty of teams there. And uh, so if you find a way to, to get a team that's got four really uh, high-end wins, that, that really stands out. So you mentioned the importance of road wins, how much that can improve a resume dramatically, in a, especially if you're looking at two resumes next to each other. Biggest road win of the weekend, for, for sure, in my eyes, was Tennessee in Rupp Arena. Uh, 103 points. Anytime you, you hang that on Kentucky, that's notable. We're going to talk more about Tennessee later in the show. I want to ask these guys if they have a serious chance at maybe pushing all the way up to the number one seed line. We're going to reveal our consensus number one seeds here in just a few short moments, but little tease for later in the show. If you want to know uh, what we think of Tennessee's long-term chances, stay tuned. We will break that down later. Um, there was another Big 12 result. We're, we're kind of just going through Big 12 games, but this conference fascinates me. I think it's the strongest conference in college basketball. I won't be surprised at a very high number of teams ending up making the field from this league. And I think there's a lot of teams that still have a lot of wiggle room with where they can land. Two of those being Baylor and Iowa State. Crazy finish in this game. Otzelberger calls the, the little throwback play that ends up being ruled just late at the buzzer. Baylor survives at home. Uh, Lucas, first off, does the committee remember a moment like that? Like, is that something that matters and you put a star on the resume of like, well, Iowa State almost won that game or is it just counted as a loss like any other loss? Yeah, I wouldn't think they'd put a star next to it. I think it just is what it is. It's a loss and also one that, you know, I think that we get a little caught up sometimes in like these close losses. Well, they almost won that game versus it just being regarded as a loss. And I think that's where we get the biggest benefit from having metrics like the BPI and Ken Palm on 
your team sheet is they recognize the value of only losing by one versus losing by 10. Like that was a close loss and deserves to be regarded as a close loss. And over the course of an entire season worth of data points, we can't expect the committee to remember every close loss that every team had and all the circumstances that went into those games. So that's where I think we get the biggest benefit from having those metrics added on. And in this particular game, um, this for me was a three versus a four seed straight up game. Baylor moved to my three seed line and Iowa State um, down to my four based off this game. Mm. Andy, do you agree with those numbers for those two teams? Uh, yeah, that's what I had as well. I, I think the thing, I, I agree with Lucas in the sense that yeah, the, the, the margin of victory is factored in as of those other numbers. This was just a really important game for Iowa State to be able to win such a big game on the road. And, and they need to do things to a certain extent. I and mean, obviously they're pretty high on the seed list as it is, but the the metrics are all decent, but their non-conference strength, the schedule is really poor. There's been tons of conversation about the Big 12 and how some of these teams have just blown the doors off of, uh, of lesser competition. And that has uh, worked well for them. But the reality is you're now in this, you, we kind of led into this with the road win conversation. And for them, they've won at TCU. And that's really the only meaningful road win that they have so far. Uh, at least against a tournament type team. So being able to win in Waco would have been massive for them. And it's a loss that doesn't hurt you, but I think it's a, a missed opportunity in a game that you were close because the big 12 is going to be such that there may be some other road games that you don't have that shot down the stretch. And so uh, in one that they, they played well enough to give themselves a chance at the end, uh, that's where it hurts them as much as anything. But those two teams, uh, as Lucas said, somewhat interchangeable uh, in different ways, but I think Baylor uh, when you really look and compare the two at this point, having won that game, uh, there's a, a little separation and, and gave them the three seed as opposed to the four for Iowa State. Appreciate the insight there, guys. Obviously a great weekend of games. If we didn't hit your team, if you're watching this show right now, don't worry. There's a whole lot of show left. We will probably talk about them later in the show. Uh, for now, I want to get to our consensus number one seed. So let's reveal the fielding the 68 crews, overall number one seeds, uh, Purdue, as the number one overall seed, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody at this point. On the road in the Kohl Center, they emerged victorious over the weekend. UConn, another team that picked up a huge one over St. John's. Those two just continue to hold serve at the top of college basketball. Houston suffered that loss to Kansas. They were the rare road favorite against Kansas over the weekend. Got packed up like a lot of teams do at Fog Allen. And then North Carolina emerges as our fourth number one this week with the decisive victory in the rivalry game over Duke. Uh, let's just go around the horn here quickly, Lucas. Any surprises from that group of four for you? Nope, it's been the same four for two, three weeks now. Um, kind of been sticking with that group. I think it's going to be really hard to knock either Purdue or UConn off that top line right now. Um and the fact that UConn's not their more role seed says so much about how good Purdue's resume is because in an average year, UConn's the number one overall seed right now, and it's probably not even close. They're 11-2 and two across the upper two quadrants, 8-2 and two in quad one, yet Purdue's 15-2, and 8-2 and two in quad one, and six of those wins are quad one A. Uh, Purdue has the edge there for number one overall seed, and, and UConn's an extremely powerful number two overall seed. Houston stands pat. They're still the best team across quality metrics. Um, and, and a loss to Kansas doesn't really change all that much, especially when it's on the road. North Carolina picked up its win over Duke. They're 9-4 and four across the upper two quadrants. I think there's becoming a few contenders for that last one spot, whether that's a Tennessee or an Arizona or a Kansas or, or even a Marquette. Um, I think there's contenders there, but for the time being, it stays being these four. 
Interesting. Less movement than in past years when we've done this show at this point in the season with our, our consensus top four. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're holding serve. You're right. Although I'm I'm going to press you on the one team of that group that doesn't keep winning, but I want to throw it to Andy first. Andy, your thoughts on our consensus number one seeds right now. Is that the right group? Uh, yeah, that's – well, to the extent that that's the group that I had, then I guess I would say it's the right group. Uh, but I do think maybe different than other years. I would agree uh, with what you said, Greg, in the last couple of years of doing the show. We've, we've seen more churn. I think this year feels different in terms of having a good group of teams right behind uh, North Carolina at this point who have a path to be able to play themselves into that uh, and have some quality wins. So I think that will be something interesting to watch in the coming weeks as you try to figure that out because using Carolina as an example, and this is uh, not just hurting them but, but going to hurt some of the other teams uh, in the ACC, you know, they, they host Clemson. Um, they do still go on the road to Miami, Syracuse, Virginia, and Duke, but not a ton to, you know, outside of Virginia and Duke on the road. Some of those other games are quad one wins, but, um, you know, those are the ones you can really move the needle with as well as Clemson at home. So just the chances for quality wins that also kind of hurts Arizona. Uh, they do have the, the mountain road trip against Utah and Colorado coming up this week, Kansas, obviously tons of opportunities, uh, in the big 12 and then Tennessee, has a relatively easy stretch coming up, and then they have a really tough close with Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, and Kentucky over their last four. So each of the teams has ways to, to help themselves a little bit, but but some, as you look across those you know, four teams maybe in contention for that last spot, um, they, there's, there's some that have a lot more opportunities than others, and that'll be interesting to watch play out over the next few weeks. So I told Lucas I was going to push back a little bit. Um, just quickly on Houston. You, you, you said all the one seeds keep winning. Houston did not win over the weekend. The quality Perhaps. metrics love them. You, allu- you alluded to it, right? They're still number one in Ken Palm, even though Purdue looks great. UConn looks great. Houston's the number one team in the country. Why? I don't know. They have one win against the Ken Palm top 20 on the season. Why does the quality metrics love Houston so much this year, Lucas? Well, for one, trimming it down to the 20 takes away a neutral site win over Dayton, a neutral site win over Utah, a road win over Xavier, um, and a road win over Texas. All of those teams are top 40. And and that, that really is what puts it there, I think. And you look at their losses. They're on the road at Iowa State, TCU, and Kansas. It's hard to really be upset about any of those losses at this point. Um, and all of them were close up until this game against Kansas. The Iowa State was four. They lost that TCU by one. Um, and that, that's part of it, is they, they've added some really strong wins that have aged well. I mean, Dayton and, and Utah have aged better than pretty much anyone could have expected. Um, for Houston, Xavier, Xavier continues to be a team that the metrics enjoy, um, despite not having a great overall record. And it, quite frankly, winning at BYU is about as good as it gets in the net this year. They also, even from a resume metrics perspective, are just as their resume metric average is the same as what UConn's is. Now there's, you know, holes you could poke in some of that, but really from an average resume metrics, they're tied for second in the country. So it's not just the quality stuff that puts them there, but uh, can understand the skepticism. But there's other things to, you know, when you look at a lot of, there's a lot of things that point to them still being a one seed. Now they drop more of these games and that can change pretty quickly in the Big 12 uh, as they get going, but that. The combination of all they have still won five so far. What was they that? Have still won five they have still won five. That's not, six. Good, that's not good enough for Greg. That's not good enough for Greg. He expects. No, no, I mean, the, 
one one five of six sure sorry i'm not impressed from the home wins over ucf and utah that win aged so well they're they're four and five in their last nine in the pac-12 what a great win that was uh i look i like that our consensus has purdue and uconn ahead of houston something that ken pomp does not yes. i'll leave it at that uh all right we're gonna go to break here coming up we are going to start talking about this big 12 conference where there's clearly a lot of various opinions. That's coming up next on Fielding the 68. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl. 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Welcome back. We are live here on Fielding the 68, the Field of 68's Bracketology Show, every Monday and Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, brought to you by Rhythm. I got Andy Bottoms here. I got Lucas Harkins with me. My name is Greg Waddell. Uh, gentlemen, I teased before break we were going to talk about the Big 12. Well, Andy's about to save me because we're actually going to talk about bubble teams. But luckily for me, there's a Big 12 team in Andy's bubble teams. Let's get right into it, Andy. Uh, give us your last four in that are currently your bubble teams to watch right now? Yeah, so the four for me uh, had Mississippi State, uh, metric-wise, in average out in the 40s uh, on both. Six and six road neutral, the odd combination of six and zero oh in neutral games and zero oh and six in true road games, I believe. So kind of a weird, uh, weird profile in that regard. Got blown out at Alabama over the weekend, but they still have home wins over Tennessee and Auburn, neutral court win over Washington State and Northwestern. Uh, so some good things on their profile still, but overall just starting to pile up losses uh, a little bit. Do have a Q4 loss as well uh, to Southern. So uh, they're they're one of them. Uh, Virginia, I know, was talked about on the show on Friday. Again, metrics uh, look really solid, particularly from a resume perspective, which helps for selection. Winning at Clemson over the weekend uh, was a big one to give them at least a little bit of breathing room uh, as you look over them. So um, their losses have all come by at least 16 points. Uh, and so you know, a Q3 loss to Notre Dame is, is in the mix there as well. Uh, but they beat in Florida on a neutral court, one at Clemson, as I mentioned. So uh, some solid some solid things there, nothing spectacular. And, and really, again, they're going to be another team uh, in, the, in the ACC where some of those opportunities are, are a bit limited. But they have three of the next four at home where they've been really strong, starting with uh, Miami tonight. Seton Hall uh, is there. Y- you look from a metric standpoint, they don't stand out, and there's an argument to be made that the, the metrics could keep them out. But they do have four quad one wins, beating UConn, beating Marquette, uh, and even road wins at Providence and, and at Butler. Really stand out as you as you look at other teams around the cut line. Uh, challenges, they're just seven and eight in you know meaningful games, whatever you want to call the games against the top three quadrants. So just seven and eight there. The, the Kadari-Richmond injury. Uh, plays a bit of a factor in the loss to Providence that they had. Uh, so some some moving pieces there as well, but they're uh, they're still in for now. And then Cincinnati, the Big 12 team, to save you, Greg, uh, was was the last team that I had in the field. Uh, Metric-wise, Lucas alluded to this earlier, uh, really strong quality metrics. The resume metrics took a nice boost uh, by winning that game at Texas Tech. Have also won at BYU and knocked off TCU. So Biggest challenge for them, the strength of schedule, non-conference strength of schedule is almost 300th. They're 3-5 and five in road neutral games. Uh, and so eight of their wins have come in quad four. It, Big 12, again, we've talked about this over and over again. They're going to give you lots of chances for good wins. They've got Houston coming up on Saturday. They don't play during the week this week. They host Iowa State uh, in the next game after that. So a couple good home opportunities for the Bearcats to solidify their spot in the field. I want to ask you one question about one of your four teams. Virginia is the one that caught my eye. 17 and 5, 8 and 3, record alone. I think a, a casual fan would be like, that's a tournament team, especially in the Tony Bennett era of Virginia. Um, are they in a spot where they really need to upgrade the resume with a marquee victory? Because you don't get a ton of opportunities like that in the ACC. Do they need to beat a North Carolina or a Duke in order to make this field, or do they just need to hold serve against teams that are below them? I think they'd probably be okay, just given where their metrics are, if they were able to hold serve in those games. Um, I, you know, again, this this stretch of four games they have coming up is Miami at home, at Florida State, Pitt at home, Wake at home. So, no horrible teams in the mix. Some that help you a little bit, but you just can't afford to lose. So, I think as long as they continue to win those games, 
they'll be okay. It's just um, some of these conferences that have more chances to slip up than it does to really bolster your profile or where it gets difficult. And I put Virginia in that category, but the metrics, particularly on the resume side, are strong enough that so long as they win uh, even some of these middle-of-the-road games, they should be in relatively good position coming down the stretch. Yep, dangerous spot to be in when uh, you you just have a lot of games that could hurt your resume more than it could help it necessarily. Uh, all right, let's throw it to Lucas next. Lucas, give us your last four teams in. Yeah, first I'm amused by by Andy's last four in as uh, Cincinnati, Seton Hall, Virginia are my fifth, sixth, and seventh last teams in the field. So none of those crack my final four, my last four in, but they are right in that last eight for me. Uh, my last four in uh, very SEC heavy today. Um, Ole Miss, Florida. Mississippi State, um, and St. John's. Uh, for Ole Miss, it, it's a great resume metrics-wise. Like They're 17th in KPI, 14th in strength of record. Uh, they're going to have the lowest quality metrics of any team in my projected field right now. Um, they're averaging 70 across BPI and Ken Palm. They don't have a quad 1A win. Um, 14 of their total wins this year are in quad 3 and quad 4. I think this is a team that makes the field before the last four in but is seated towards the end of the field because of those quality metrics. Um, as for Florida, obviously picked up the big win last week, but dropped one dropped one close this weekend. They're now 1-7 in, um, in quad one games this year, 4-7 and seven across the upper two quadrants. They have really good re- re- metrics kind of across the board. They're top 40 um, in all six team sheet metrics, but being just 1-7 in, in quad one puts them um, behind a lot of those bubble teams. Like a, like a Mississippi State has three quad one wins, for example. Um, but with Mississippi State, they're now – up to five, down to five and seven in quads one and two. They have a quad four loss that kind of drags them down. And when you speak about a team that has a lot of opportunities to play their way out of the tournament, St. John's still has all four games against DePaul and Georgetown coming up, and they've now played themselves down towards the cut line here. They're seven and eight against the upper two quadrants, but they're 0-5 in quad 1A games. They've had a lot of opportunities to prove that they deserve to be in the field. They haven't exactly hit on those. They're two and seven against the, against the upper first quadrant. I think they still have some work to do, although the schedule is pretty favorable coming on the stretch as long as they avoid um, those landmines, the Blue Demons and Hoyas. I want to drill you a little bit here on uh, Mississippi State, who you were mentioning the the quality metrics of. And I noticed that we've got uh, – or no, sorry, it was Ole Miss, not Mississippi State. We had the KPI with Ole Miss at 17, and then we had the net – and the BPI much higher. Can you explain why why would the KPI be so drastically in a better spot than some of those other quality metrics? Yeah, well, the, the KPI and strength of record are 17 and 14, and, and those are resume-based, and that comes back to being only having four losses all year. Um, they have a tremendous record as far as their efficiency metrics. Like the net has efficiency baked into it in some capacity. Um, they're 61st there. BPI and Ken Palmer both efficiency-based. They're 77th and 63rd. It, they had just haven't statistically they haven't been an impressive team this season relative to their results to date, and that's what I think. I think personally, my my bracketology belief is I lean more on resume metrics for inclusion in the field, um, and then on quality metrics for where you're going to be seated. So I think Mississippi is a better chance to be selected right now than last four in, but I have them seated as one of my last four teams in the field as a result of that, and and some of that comes back to just. The further you get down toward more things that pop out to you, um, and for Ole Miss, what pops out is the poor quality metrics and ranking 322nd in the country in non-conference strength of schedule. 
That's really interesting. Thank you for that. Let's take a look uh, at our consensus last four in. Obviously, there was some differences between these two. And uh, uh, here we have, well, a, a little bit of a mix of both. You see that Cincinnati that Andy had makes this list. Florida, who Lucas had, makes this list. Seton Hall, Andy had, makes this list. Mississippi State, you both had. So uh, a little bit of a mix here. Um, in general, I'm going to assume neither of you have any major issues with our consensus last four in. Do either of you have anything you want to, to jump in on that you disagree with from that or no? All four of those teams are in the, my field. Yeah, and, and Andy, same with mine. And I know Lucas mentioned the same thing, but uh, I had Ole Miss and Florida as my next two that were just clear of the last four in. So uh, it, it is a pretty – a somewhat clear group of teams that are right around there. And I'll get to where I had St. John's here in a couple of minutes, but yeah, I think there's and anytime you get there, I think Ole Miss is such a hard one to see because of what Lucas described. I don't remember. And I haven't really gone back to look what the biggest gap between some of those metrics uh, has been over the course of time. But I struggle a lot with Ole Miss. When you look at that resume average of 15 and a half, and then there's a 55, you know, a gap of 55 between that and the, and the quality metrics. So trying to figure out what to do with them. And it almost becomes a question of, have they done it enough or so much? Uh, if you believe in the resume metrics with that, that they, you know, maybe deserve a better fate. Uh, and I tend to, to view it uh, similar to Lucas in terms of using the quality metrics for that. But that's, that's really why I had them just outside of that. But um, they're, they're as hard a one as I can remember recently to do that with. And I think you look at, as they've played better teams in SEC play, they've gotten blown out on multiple occasions. Uh, and so I think that also factors in, obviously that drives those quality metrics down, but losing, you know, by 26 to Tennessee, 23 to Auburn the first time, 14 to Auburn the second time, uh, and even to LSU by nine, you know, the margin has really hurt their quality metrics and, and driven some of that down. And also hard to ignore when you see the team uh, on the floor against some of the better teams and then they're losing handily in a lot of those games. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of reconcile that with what some of the metrics do. Yeah, they're a team that All right, the next move. month I'm going to say a lot. Let, let's move to our first four out here, guys. I'm going to have us move a little bit quicker because we got a break coming up here. Uh, I want to get Lucas, then Andy's first four out, and then we'll show our consensus as well. Give me quick hitters on your teams as we go. Lucas, let's start with your first four teams out of the field as of today. Yeah, my first four out right now are Colorado, Providence, Wake Forest, and Oregon. Um, Colorado's got really good metrics across the board, but they're just one and four in quad one, um, which has put them in a tough spot. Seven of their wins are in quad four. Um, Providence obviously has three great wins, two of which are in quad one a, uh, but those wins over Marquette and Prov Marquette and Wisconsin both came with Bryce Hopkins and those still matter, but I think are probably going to be discounted and, and seen as a little bit more of what have you done without Bryce Hopkins. Um, and most recently that's, that's a blowout loss to Villanova. Uh, Wake Forest has great quality metrics, but they're without a quad one win so far this year. Without that, I think it's going to be hard to make the field um, in an ACC that doesn't give you that many opportunities. Um, and Oregon's just kind of settling around in the middle middle of the bubble conversation. They're, they're a step behind in just about every, every single statistic, but they are still right there and knocking on the door. A lot of Pac-12, a lot of ACC, I feel like, coming up in these bubbly conversations. Thank you, Lucas. Andy, let's throw it to you next. Give us your first four out. Yeah, definitely some differences here, although, to be fair, I had St. John's as my first team out. That was really the only one that I felt bad, I guess you could say, leaving out uh, for the reasons that Lucas talked about of having them in. Quality metrics are are relatively solid, but two and seven in those quad one games uh, and, and have some landmines to avoid going forward. They were really the other team that had serious considerations. I, I don't know. 
I looked at the teams that Lucas mentioned, but as you go through here, Villanova, you've got just two games over 500 at this point, but with some really solid wins, six wins in the top two quadrants, including two quad 1A wins, good quality metrics, not so great resume metrics. Uh, Memphis's downfall has been uh, precipitous. We've all talked about that on here before, but the resume metrics are still not terrible. The net is not good, uh, but they're hanging around. And then Colorado, for the reasons that Lucas said I had in there, uh, Providence would have been my fifth team out. You know, when you look at what they've done without Bryce Hopkins, they're three and five without him. They won at home against Georgetown at DePaul and at Seton Hall when they didn't have Kadari Richmond. So just becomes tough. If they're going to be evaluated without him, things really get difficult. And even with their total body of work, their average resume metrics are 60.5. So even that, even if you didn't discount some of what they'd done without him, they'd still be in a pretty tough spot from a resume metric standpoint. Yeah, so Colorado, the overlap between you two, but certainly a lot of teams in the mix. Let's take a look at our consensus first four out. Uh, once again, teams that we just mentioned, St. John's, who made it into Andy's first four out, Villanova, same thing. Colorado, both these guys had in their first four out. And then Providence, which was in Lucas's. Uh, Lucas, I'll just throw to you for comments here. Um, your thoughts on our consensus, anything you strongly disagree with? No, I don't think so. I, I have Villanova a little bit further out than the rest of the group does. Um, but I also think that that's a team that can really quickly make a push. Uh, they're, they're Ken Palm favorites in three of the next four at Xavier. They're an underdog. But then Seton Hall at home, at Georgetown, Butler at home. It's a team that if they start getting up wins, if they can go, if they can win those four, they're 16 and 10 all of a sudden with wins over Texas Tech, North Carolina, Creighton, Xavier. Like they, they have the high quality wins that North Carolina neutral site win is phenomenal like if they start building up wins again uh they can get back in there but but a five game losing streak before this one providence game we're not certain where they're going to stand in two weeks from now i honestly thought winning the battle for atlantis might hurt their resume at this point that's sort of where i was at looking <laughs> back that field. Uh, but hey hey no comment uh hey guys good job on this we appreciate all the insight on uh our, our last four in first four out uh, coming up, we are going to move to some conferences we want to talk about. The Mountain West is rising, and the SEC has a battle at the top. That's next on Fielding the 68. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, -M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. 
So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. Thank you for joining us today here on Fielding the 68, our bracketology show here at the Field of 68. I got Andy Bottoms with me. I got Lucas Harkins with me. My name is Greg Waddell. We just broke down our bubble teams. Now we're going to move to a couple conferences that I want to ask these guys a few more specific questions on. I alluded to this at the top of the show. The SEC has a battle at the top right now, but I am most impressed with the Tennessee Volunteers. Going on the road to Rupp Arena, hanging 100 on Kentucky and emerging victorious. Uh, they've caught my attention. I think they've caught college basketball fans' attention everywhere. Have they caught the bracketologists' attention, though? At the beginning of the show, you guys agreed our one seeds are consensus as they've been for a couple weeks. How close is this Tennessee team to entering that conversation, cracking the one line? I'll throw it to Andy first, and then we'll get thoughts from Lucas. Yeah, they're, they're right there. Uh, definitely a team considered in with North Carolina for that last spot. Uh, them and Arizona were the two uh, that I, I had uh, for the stuff. Kansas a little bit further behind just because some of the quality metrics aren't as good when you think about seeding. But uh, there's, there's lots to like about where Tennessee is. Metrics are really strong uh, across the board. They've got four quad one wins, all of which fall in quad 1A. Played a really tough non-conference schedule, which the committee uh, likes. And then you look through those losses – the the home loss to South Carolina is one they wish they had back because it was at home, but uh, other losses were all relatively close. But being able to win, uh, beat Alabama, win at Wisconsin, which uh, helps a little bit as, as the Badgers are, you know, were in more of contention for one seed yesterday than they are today. But uh, beating them, beating an Illinois team uh, that's solid and winning at Kentucky, as you said, Greg, is, is key. And so, like I said, they've got a tough close to the season, but they've got some runway here coming up. They've got LSU at Texas A&M, uh, which will be tough, then at Arkansas, Vandy, and at Missouri. So a chance to, to reel off some other wins here before um, and, and hope that other teams in front of them drop games and, and could have a chance to get them on that one line sooner rather than later. Lucas, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think they're the most intriguing contender for a one seed for the last week and a half of the season, last two weeks of the season. Um, they're going to close Auburn at home, at Alabama, at South Carolina, Kentucky at home. Those are four games that are just like massive movers. If they get hot in that stretch, and this is a really good basketball team. Like At, at worst, they're going to get a two or a three seed. I think at this point they're just playing so well. And I think that that closing stretch, honestly, I think it's really hard that late in the year to jump someone for the one seed. Because you kind of need another team to like one of those ones to lose to get on there, but with the way Tennessee's schedule sets up, they might be able to just jump. Yeah, it's possible for sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do something very dumb personally for me. I'm gonna expose myself for being bad at this. I am not a bracketologist. I'm the host of this show. I want to tell you guys how I'm viewing the one seed line right now. I see Purdue, I see UConn, I see North Carolina. I think those three teams are essentially going to coast to their conference championships at this point. I, I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. And then I see the mess that is the top of the Big 12. It's up for contention right now. There's a mess at the top of the SEC right now. It, it's up for contention right now. Is that the battle for the one seed? Like if Tennessee is going to crack the one line, is it going to be that they emerge as SEC champions 
and they build the resume that's better than maybe the Big 12 champion? Or is there a way where they could even leapfrog over the three teams that I just mentioned? We'll go reverse order. I'll throw to Lucas first, and then I want to get Andy's thoughts too. Yeah, I think they could leap over North Carolina. Uh, I wouldn't be that surprised if they get into that conversation where they could jump North Carolina. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I think the only team you haven't mentioned there that I think still has a shot, like a real realistic shot at a one seed is Marquette. Uh, they still get UConn twice. And that's really an opportunity there for them to, for them to build a resume closer to the top line too. I think they're the longest shot. That's not a Tennessee or a big 12 school, but I think they are in that mix. Andy? The only thing I'd add to that is really the, the North Carolina piece of things. I think the schedule sets up a bit for them to coast, as you said, but if they take losses, there aren't nearly as many good losses to take. And even if they just take a couple of those, I think that's where maybe they they come back to the pack a little bit uh, and, and end up maybe behind a Tennessee. Or if somebody emerges from the Big 12, that just seems unlikely. Are we were at this point, I don't think anybody has less than three losses in the in the Big 12. So uh, you're you're almost halfway through. The odds of you know losing the champion having six losses feel pretty high. So at some point, no matter how good the losses are, those teams may just play their way back onto the two line, uh, depending upon how things shake out. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Thanks guys. I mentioned there's a bunch of other teams at the top of this sec conference. Uh, there's four others that I have on a list that are, are really fighting it out for a protected seed right now. That would be Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Uh, obviously we don't need to go full prediction mode, but how do you guys sort of evaluate those teams that are in the mix as far as how many of them could get protected seeds? Andy, what do you think? Uh, I think at least two feels likely, potentially a third. I just don't know that you could get all four of them up there. Alabama, from a quality metric standpoint, is sitting in a pretty good spot. Uh, they do have games left at Auburn, at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, at Florida, so all teams that are in, in the field. Uh, and then they've got home games against Florida, Texas A&M, and Tennessee. So, you know, that's seven relatively tough games there, but their metrics are really strong and, and feel like the the safest one of those to me. And then you move to to Auburn, and the knock on them had been don't have a quad one win. They finally do uh, metric-wise across the board. Their quality metrics are really, really strong, uh, and that's helpful for them. South Carolina, a little bit of a, a you know kind of Ole Miss light, if you will. Average uh, resume metrics are at 12. Average quality metrics at 46 and a half. Um, but at some point, can't look past wins at Tennessee and, and beating Kentucky at home. So be interested to see how they play down the stretch as some of those metrics start to even themselves out. And then Kentucky is the team that I've got uh, fourth out of that group so far on the seed list. Their resume metrics uh, are quite a bit higher than the other uh, three teams discussed ahead of that. And even the quality metrics uh, are worse than what Alabama and Auburn are. So um, lots of opportunities for them as well as everybody with the conference. They've got that Gonzaga home game coming up, but also host Ole Miss and Alabama. And then they go on the road to Auburn, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. So those are the big games left uh, for Kentucky. And if they perform really well in those, could potentially work their way back there. But um, they lag behind those other three teams and obviously behind Tennessee when you look at a number of the uh, the metrics that, the, that are on the team sheets. Lucas, any thoughts? Yeah, I'm right in line. I think Alabama is the only team I feel comfortable with being a protected seed right now. Um, I have Auburn and South Carolina both on the five seed line. Kentucky's on my six. Um, I, I think Auburn just needs more quality still. Um, and as a case with South Carolina, South Carolina to me is like you look at Ole Miss and what they need to do to get in the field. Take a good look at what South Carolina has done recently because these teams were not far off two or three weeks ago um, with the same idea. So, so I think that that's, that's a case in point to, to monitor for Ole Miss is try to follow the South Carolina method. 
Um, but the only team I feel really good about being a protected seed of these four is Alabama, and maybe Auburn can get itself there. I don't see more than two um, just because of the, the losses they're going to have to take against each other. All right. Okay, I want to move to one other conference that I, I'm just fascinated by the battles at the top right now. It's the Mountain West Conference. And um, I, I think the Field of 68 had a, a graphic that we put out on the, the Twitter earlier today that has the Mountain West as one of our stronger conferences in the country, ahead of a couple power conferences like the Pac-12 and the ACC. Um, right now, every team that is in our consensus bracket as the Fielding the 68 crew is – between the five and the nine seed lines. So a lot of moving parts, teams that are kind of, I would say, safely in the field. You're not like last four in here, but um, things can certainly change. Lucas, can any of these teams get higher than the five line from the Mountain West? Sure. I think San Diego State can get there. Um, I gave San Diego State some pretty some pretty strong consideration for a four seed um, this morning. Um, I ended up putting them in the five. And as you said, all my Mountain West teams right now are between a five and an eight seed. Um, I have San Diego State in the five, Utah State's on the six, Colorado State seven, Boise, New Mexico on the eight. Um, I, I think that San Diego State's the only one I feel good enough about contending for a top four seed. I think Utah State had a chance up until that loss this weekend. Um, I think that's a harder battle from this point forward, though. I think San Diego State's the one that's in contention for a top four. Andy, what do you think? Do you agree with Lucas here? Uh, they're the one that seems to have the best chance, if for no other reason than they're starting you know, higher than the others at this point on, on my list, and it sounds like Lucas is as well. Uh, and when you look at their record against the other five teams that are in contention, they've, they're two and three against those teams, but all the losses were on the road. They still host Colorado State, New Mexico, and Boise State, and then they go to Nevada and to Utah State. So they can go four and one of those games. They don't have any other losses in the league. A couple of the other teams have already lost to non-tournament caliber teams uh, in the league. So they're the one that could come out without a, a quote-unquote bad loss. So they're the one that um, you know seems highest to me. Boise is a little bit interesting just because in their five games against the other five teams, they're four and one so far, uh, which is interesting. They were able to win at Nevada and at New Mexico. Uh, so you know, in theory – if they, you know, roll, run the table and, and win a few more road games, like they could push their way up there. Maybe they go four and one because that would require them to win at least two uh, on the road against these other tournament level teams. But you know, when you compare them, they did lose at home to UNLV, so that's kind of where I say some of these have taken on a quote unquote bad loss in the league that San Diego State hasn't taken yet. Is there any chance that this league gets more than five? So I'm looking right now, Nevada, 17 and five overall, only four and four in conference play. But you see that net ranking right there, 56. They are certainly trailing the top five that you both have safely in the field right now. Andy, does Nevada have a chance to crack this and make it a six bid Mountain West? Uh, it feels tough at this point. Uh, the quality metrics and the resume metrics both average out in the low to mid 60s. They're currently one and three in the games they've played against these five other teams. Uh, they only play Utah State once, so they won't get quite as many cracks at them. And they still have to go to Boise, to Colorado State, and to Utah State. They do host San Diego State and New Mexico, but also lost at Wyoming. Uh, and so that gives them, you know, they've got a Q3 loss and, and two Q2 losses uh, at this point. So they feel like a long shot. They'd have to perform really well in those five games. Uh, and, and the other one that's, Interesting, the lowest one that I have seen, like first team on the nine line is New Mexico. 
they have played the majority of their games against these teams at home. They still play four of the other five tournament-level teams, uh, if you include Nevada in that, on the road. So they go to Nevada, San Diego State, Boise, and Utah State. So there's everybody else's was relatively balanced in terms of what, what they played home and road. Uh, they're the one that was a little more weighted toward the home game so far, which they performed well in. Uh, but the question uh, you know, remains of, of what they can do on the road uh, as, they, uh, as they look forward. Lucas, what Andy was just talking about with New Mexico with the schedule heating up as the season goes down, does that help or hurt a team like New Mexico, who I believe you said you have them on the eight or the nine line right now? Like, is it bad that they have a tough schedule coming up, or is that a good thing? Uh, I think it's it's all opportunity-based. Like, there's opportunities there, but they're positive and negative. You have to take advantage of them to actually move up, and if you don't take advantage of them, then you move down. It, it, it's really just up to – I mean, I know that sounds just – plain and simple and obvious analysis, but it's how you play in those games. I mean, I, I, and, but based off that, I do think to go back to your original question that you posed, I think it's more likely the mountain West gets four than it gets six. Mm. I hate to hear that. I hate, I love this conference, man. Just as a fan of the sport, like I, I, think I five want five is the right number. Yeah. I think I, five is the right number. It, it would be good for the sport this year if we get five Mountain West teams in, if not six, to be honest. I love watching that league. But, all right, you heard it from the experts. Uh, we got to keep an eye on this. Coming up, we're going to talk about the teams that moved the most from the past week, and then we'll get these guys' biggest games to watch in the week ahead on Fielding the 68. Big news, guys. I am thrilled to announce that we have partnered with Autograph, a company founded by the GOAT himself, Tom Brady. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best college hoops content, fan contests, and exclusive rewards like discounted tickets, all for doing the things that diehard fans like you already do, following your favorite team in the news and listening to podcasts just like this one. When Tom, and yes, I am calling him Tom, we're on a first-name basis these days, co-founded Autograph. He had one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. It works like this. You get all of your college hoops content you want in one place. You get articles from your favorite writers, pods from your favorite hosts, contests from your favorite creators, all on the feeds and the sites that you already enjoy. But instead of having to go to all these different places, it all comes to you in one spot, the autograph fandom map. But here's the best part. The more content that you consume, the higher you rank in the app. As you consider the level up in status on the app, you can unlock unique rewards curated exclusively for you. So download the free autograph app in the app store and use the referral code F68, that's F68, or tap in at the link in the description below or in the podcast app of your choosing to start earning points for doing something as normal as listening to this very podcast. It really is that simple. Welcome back to the Fielding the 68 Bracketology Show. Every Monday and Friday, we are here live bringing in the best bracketologists in the business today. That's Andy Bottoms and Lucas Harkins. My name is Greg Waddell. Gentlemen, there's a lot of teams that moved all over your seed sheets in the past week. I want to talk about a few of them. We alluded to Texas earlier in the show. Big week for them. They go on the road, get a big victory uh, as a, a huge underdog over the weekend. Now up to the 7 line from the 11 line. You see the other two I want to ask these guys about. Butler 
and Indiana State. Butler has gone from the last four in up to a nine seed in our consensus bracket. Indiana State up from 11 seed to a nine seed. All three of these have risen. We like to see teams rising. Good for their fan bases. Lucas, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, which one of these three was the most impressive to you in the last week and is in the best spot right now? Oh, come on. That's not a fair question to ask me. Come on. You know, you know I'm going to have to say about Liberty because, I, because, because it, would just be, it would just be disingenuous for me not to. Um, Butler has now picked up a second road win over a top 20 net team. They've already won at Marquette. Now they beat at – now they've won at Creighton. They already have a, a, a home win over Texas Tech, a neutral site win over Boise State. That's four wins over the field, three of them coming away from home, six and seven against the upper two quadrants. Metrics have really soared lately. Um, they're up to 47th on Ken Palm, 33rd in strength of record. Uh, they've quickly jumped, and, and quite frankly, a lot of that comes down to having two better wins than just about everybody in, in the nine through bubbles conversation, and that's those wins at Marquette and at Creighton, um, which are really big ones. Now, the schedule is still brutal for the next several games um, at, at the, starting tomorrow night at UConn. It's going to be a tough road, but Butler's put themselves on the right side of the cut line um, and definitely a team that improved its seating more than those other two for me over the last week. Uh, Texas, I had on the 10 before I moved up to a 7, um, instead of us as a consensus having 11 to 7. Indiana State, props to the other three guys in fielding the 68 for joining me on the Indiana State bandwagon. Um, I, I was They didn't move for me, basically. I think maybe us seed line. I was already high on Indiana State. Hey, ahead of the curve, Lucas. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Andy, I got a question for you on this. Why are these gaps so large? Just can one result really move a team four seed lines at this point in the season? I think that says a lot about the state of some of the teams uh, right in that nine to eleven range, as much as anything, where a really big road win uh, can can propel you. And I think in some of the cases, this is more so the case. Uh, I think with with Texas, just. They didn't have a ton of great non-conference wins, so every game they get in the league helps them a little bit more. Particularly being on the road, uh, I think Butler already having had the the win at Marquette. Uh, not to say that the the win at Creighton didn't help, but I, I think you you knew some things about them already. You just needed some of the metrics to come in line a little bit uh, with what it felt like with the, the total number of wins. And I think Texas again, they've got eight wins in Quad Four, so the more you see them be able to, to, to beat good teams, the, the more that, that can impact their profile, maybe in a disproportionate way. Um, and, and you look at Texas, they've got five quad one games left. Now that includes road games at Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Texas tech. Uh, so they need to give themselves a little bit of breathing room by being able to show they can win some of these road games because uh, they've got a little bit of an odd schedule left. They've got three quad three games, which are pretty hard to come by uh, in the big 12, quite honestly, but uh, they're there in Indiana State. I think I had them as one of the top teams on the 11 line. I think it was you know, being able to beat uh, Drake somewhat, avenge that previous loss. And at this point, their resume metrics average is really strong. Their net's really strong. Um, the challenge for them is don't really have a win over a tournament team. Have two quad two games left as it stands right now today, neither of which is going to you know, move the needle in a huge way uh, other than avoiding the losses against uh, Southern Illinois and Missouri State. Be honest with me, guys. How much does Robbie Avila's aesthetic influence Indiana State's seed line? It's got to bump them up a line, right? No? Well, I, would certainly, right. I, I mean, you're asking two so. guys who wear glasses, so it, it seems logical that we would be swayed by this in some way. 
I just say it. I mean, I'd like to see it personally as a fan. That's all. Uh, all right. I have some other teams I want to quickly ask you guys on before we get to our biggest games to watch this week. The first one being Clemson. Uh, man, big one coming up for them. Talk about a game to watch. Clemson, North Carolina uh, is kind of approaching on running out of opportunities territory for Clemson at this point. Just two quad one games remaining on their reg- regular season schedule. They're three and six in their last nine. A lot of close losses sprinkled in there. But Lucas, you said it earlier in the show, a loss is a loss. You can't get points for for always losing close games. Uh, how dire is the situation for Clemson right now? For one, saying a loss, a loss, close losses don't help you very much about Clemson is kind of amusing. I, I don't know if Andy would remember, like, what, 2017, 2018 Clemson was, like, the king of can't couldn't finish one off. Um, but I think Clemson's still okay. Um, I think I have them on a seven line right now. I think they're still uh, – I've dropped Clemson to the eight. Um, so Clemson on the eight line right now. So I think they're still a touch ahead of that group that we've talked about, that nine to bubble range. I think they're still just a tad above there. Um, obviously that's six and six record in quads one and two is still pretty solid and they have really good metrics across the board. Um, I think they're still in okay shape, but obviously the ACC, as much as we talk about, um, the big 12 having a ton of opportunities, the ACC has a ton of opportunities to fall. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts on Clemson? Anything you feel differently with Lucas on? There's is just a weird profile. They're, their non-conference, they beat Boise State, South Carolina, TCU, one at Alabama, and then their best league wins at this point are at Pitt and at Florida State, I think. And so theirs is odd, and it just speaks to you know, unbalanced schedules in these leagues, and when you really only have Duke and North Carolina that will move the needle in a substantial way, it just doesn't – they're just in a tough spot. Uh, as you said, they got two quad one games at Carolina at Wake. They do have four quad two games, but that's Miami and Pitt at home and at Syracuse and at Georgia Tech. It, it just, you know, none of those teams are in anybody's projected field at this point, and Wake is right around the bubble. Um, so it really puts a, a premium on those games or not losing any of the rest. And then you can sit back and, and point to the non conference wins, which for them are great and really stand out over what a lot of other teams did in the non conference. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like so many close but no cigars for Clemson right now. Uh, like I said, I have that game against North Carolina circled later this week as one that they would certainly love to get. Another team I got to ask you guys about, Creighton. Uh, the close loss to Butler, they dropped two seed lines after a toss-up game like that. Uh, Lucas, is that an indictment maybe on, on Butler? Like You're not supposed to lose at home to Butler? That's your squad here. Why, why did Creighton drop two lines after that game? I don't know. I didn't drop them two lines. Uh, I only dropped them about three spots. They, they were, I think, my third, my third three seed down to down to my second four. Um, I don't think it really made that big of a difference for Creighton. Although I do understand the argument, like Auburn picks up a win, um, Alabama's played well, Illinois picked up its close win over Nebraska. Uh, it might just be a matter of uh, Dayton continues to win. Like it might just South Carolina continues to, it might just be a matter of teams having a little better weekend um, than Creighton at the same time Creighton took a loss, but I- I'm not concerned on Creighton. I think they're still a protected seed for me. I must be ahead of the rest of this group here um, on the Jayhawks on the blue Jays right now. All right. Uh, Andy, any thoughts? I mean, I like that Luke is just continually disassociating himself from the, the overall results of the group by like, I didn't do that. This was somebody else's. Somebody else did this. Anyway, um, so I had they were my first five seed, and they were probably my last uh, my last three coming in. So 
you, you don't have to in, in that situation you're not dropping quite as much i think there's certainly an argument to be made that they're on the four line um but but you really look that they're you know one beat alabama at home uh which was a big one and then the only other win against a team that I have in my field came at Nebraska, which has proven to be a tough place to win for uh, the top teams at the Big Ten. Um, you know, did lose at UNLV and, and some of that. So they've got seven quad one games left, which is crazy at this point, um, and, only, and one quad two game left. So they don't have any landmines left to hit in Big East play, and so I think they could pretty easily, based on where their quality metrics are, get themselves back uh, up to the four line. For those of us who don't have them there already, uh, but they're right in the mix for a protected seed. So I think just a little bit of they're probably low on the three line and high on the five line. So it looks like a bigger drop than maybe it really was. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, one last there, thing there to ask you about. Andy. I'll, I'll throw this to you first, Andy. Florida Atlantic, uh, seven games now in their last seven. They've won seven. Three were dicey. I mean, they're kind of the inverse Clemson. A one-point win at Tulane, overtime against UTSA three-point win over North Texas. They keep flirting with disaster. How high can Florida Atlantic jump? Or maybe conversely, how far can they fall? Yeah, they're interesting. I keep looking at their quality metrics because of some of these close calls that you talk about and keep thinking and waiting on those to drop a little bit. And they haven't right now. They're still 22 and a half average uh, in the quality metrics. You know, For them, if you look at the remaining schedule, they've got five quad two games left. Now, those games are not necessarily against teams that people are going to have uh, in their field. Memphis is one of those uh, if they can continue to play well. But they have road trips to Memphis, North Texas, South Florida, and UAB. Uh, so if they can perform well in those games, yeah, they, they just have to avoid losses, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, you know, Not that they can't lose any of those games, but uh, for them, there's not any huge surefire tournament teams left to beat on their schedule. Uh, but there are some opportunities to really pad their Q2 numbers uh, and their road record where they're 9-3 and three in road neutral games already. They, they come away with those. Those are not necessarily easy road wins to get. Uh, so there's still opportunities there for them, just not, not quite the same caliber as you might see some other teams. Lucas, I want you to imagine a world where Florida Atlantic wins out. The remainder of the season finishes the regular season with just four losses. What seed line are they on come Selection Sunday? I think it's probably a four or five. I don't think they get higher than a four. Um, obviously, the, the Arizona win still kind of stands out as being the thing that can boost them up a seed. Um, I have them on that top six seed right now. I, I think that they can get to they can get to a five for sure. I don't know if they can get any higher than a four, even with a win out. Interesting. Okay. All right. You heard it there first. Let's look ahead now, gentlemen. Like I said, we have a show on Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Kevin Sweeney will be running that show where we will look backwards at what happened this week. But give us a preview. Give us two games to watch each. We'll go around the horn quickly with it. Andy, we'll start with you. What two games do you have your eye on? Uh, on Wednesday, Nebraska at Northwestern. Uh, I think an interesting uh, game for both teams. Northwestern coming off of the game they dropped at Minnesota. Uh, and Nebraska, just a heartbreaker, played really well to force overtime at Illinois. They're still really searching for uh, a road win in the league, and so that becomes a, a big one for them. And then uh, I, I'll throw out uh, two of the teams that we talked about already, Ole Miss at South, South Carolina, the battle of teams with uh, strong resume metrics but maybe less quality metrics, a, a good opportunity for both teams to pick up another win against the team uh, in the field. So that one's on Tuesday. Uh, it'll be an interesting uh, matchup in the SEC. Lucas, what are yours? 
Yeah, well, you stole Ole Miss, South Carolina from me. Um, so, so Boise State at Colorado State um, in, in the Mountain West. Uh, Boise State's 4-1 and one in true road games this year, and that has really boosted up their seeding. And Andy mentioned it a little bit earlier with the Mountain West that Boise State can get really interesting in terms of raising up seed lines if they continue to perform well on the road. This is another one of those big opportunities. Um, secondly, we got the 12, 12 and 10 Big East battle. Uh, Villanova 12 and 20, 12 and 10 goes at Xavier 12 and 10. Two teams that have the metrics to be in contention for bids. Villanova certainly has that North Carolina win um, as well. The winner of that game will stay pretty close to the mix, whereas the loser will fall a little bit further down. All right. And somewhere Rocco would want us to mention that Stanford goes to UNC Greensboro on Thursday. So just, just for him, I feel compelled to mention that. Shout out to the lovely Rocco Miller, who I believe will be back on the show on Friday. Uh, gentlemen, this was great as always. Thank you to Andy Bottoms. Thank you to Lucas Harkins. Thank you to Dagan Hughes behind the scenes. My name is Greg Waddell. Fielding the 68, our Bracketology show, will be back on Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Everybody enjoy this great week of college basketball, and we'll see you Friday.